Hello and welcome to the Redefine Instruction webcast series, where we bring a fresh perspective on learning and development with every single episode. Go ahead, grab a cup of coffee or your favorite drink and enjoy a few moments talking about LND with me. Hi, my name is Sandia Lachenbal and I am your host for this series. Subscribe to our webcast or look out for new episodes on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or log on to redefineinstruction.com for the latest trends on L&D. Continuing our storytelling theme in Season 2, today the spotlight is on Jonathan Hill. With several accolades under his name, Jonathan is a learning technologist with a background in teaching and training in the further education and insurance sectors. He credits his success in online learning to face-to-face training and over 25 years of experience in the insurance sector. Jonathan is an award-winning speaker who has been recognized at DevLearn, AIM Higher Chief Executive Awards, MGA Initiative, and is a featured designer in the Articulate Storyline Heroes community. In this episode, he speaks about crafting effective stories, interactive videos in question slides, tools for designing effective stories, building custom slides, recommends books to build storytelling scenarios, and gamification elements in stories. On the spy story showcased in this episode, where John talks about the design elements and thoughts behind designing this content-based story with gamification elements. Follow the spy story in this week's e-learning heroes challenge. If you're looking for details on the inspiration and design elements behind this story, follow John's blog at engagebraintrain.com slash character building. If you're looking for inspiration on storytelling and ideas on gamification, I'd encourage you to follow his blog and ELH challenges. You can also find links to Jonathan's blog in the show notes. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Jonathan Hill. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for taking the time to speak with me on my podcast series, Redefine Instruction. I'm so excited to talk about storytelling with you this morning. Thank you for having me, Sandy. It's really nice to be asked to talk about this. It's something I'm very passionate about as well. Um, I am a very passionate amateur. Um, so, yeah, I've got, I've got lots of tips that I've kind of gathered over the years that I'd like to share. Um, but I'm also very keen to hear what your other, your other contributors in this series have to say on the topic as well. Yes, yes. And I wouldn't define you as an amateur. You are you are definitely, you know, in the tenured, um, you know, series of speakers. And that's one of the reasons why I am so excited to get into this and start discussing the different elements of storytelling. Um, before we get, get into stories and how you design those, can you give me a sneak peek on what got you into instructional design? What piqued your interest that you started designing these wonderful solutions? That's a really good question, and it's one I ask myself quite a lot. I have to pinch myself sometimes because it's a great job. It's a great, it's a great profession to work in. Um, but if I, you know, if I was, if I was to say to you, I intended to to do this when I, you know, left left college and left school, I, I didn't. Um, I've worked in financial services for twenty five years um, in the UK, and for the last ten of those, I've specialised in in learning and development. I've worked in the HR and learning and development um, parts of um, the financial services industry, where 
I, you know, I was a specialised fraud investigator for um, insurance, um, insurance motor fraud. And then I started to train that element of the job. And then I moved into training more generally. And um, it's through that experience of, of delivering training um, that I came to become more involved in learning technology. And over the past four to five years, I've really focused in on the um, asynchronous, non-facilitated, virtual and online side of things, rather than at the start of my training career, the whole standing in front of a room, uh, delivering the training and um, you know running, running the sessions in person. But I don't think I'd be as good a designer for the online and, and virtual and, and uh, e-learning if I hadn't had the experience of being in front of a room actually sometimes have to think on my feet and deliver content yeah. um which uh, you know I, I admit i don't miss that I'm, I'm glad i'm doing this now but i'm glad I, I came to it through this through through you know through delivering training in person and i often caught myself thinking at the time you know wouldn't it be great if we could get um the computers to do this or could get the the powerpoint to do that and and and, and, and added elements that could help help the delivery so that's what got me into learning technology um, and uh, for the past three years, well, nearly four years, I was the digital learning manager at an insurance company called Commercial Express. And I am now very recently, two weeks into a new job as the learning design and content manager for a remittances company called World Remit, um, which is really exciting uh, because that's going to be all about um, not necessarily just e-learning design uh, and content design in a digital, in a digital format, but the broader conversation about what's the best way of delivering this piece of training. And some of that will be digital and online, but others it, others it will be going back to my roots of advising people as how, how to present this in person in, in a room in a kind of synchronous way. Right. Um, so I feel like I'm coming a bit full circle in that regard, but my heart will always belong to, to e-learning and, and uh, digital learning. Yes, yes. What a wonderful journey and, and really love how you kind of grew into this, right? Um, I want to dive into the storytelling piece of it, but definitely you are um, going towards exactly where the trend of L&D is going, right? We are, we are navigating away from that synchronous learning. We are navigating away from that instructor-led piece. A lot of it is virtual instructor-led, but the percentage is definitely declining, um, which I think is so essential because you have you, you you do have the experience which is where you draw your story stories from but you are you know you're taking it up to the mobile learning platform the gamification platform the virtual like you're it's the on demand it's the netflix era of learning is as we call it here in the united states so why storytelling what made you gravitate towards storytelling as a niche um, I, I think really if you're delivering any kind of content, particularly in financial services in the UK, it can be quite dry. Um, a lot of training that people have to go through in, say, the insurance industry is mandatory. Um, we've all been there. Uh, you, your learning management system says that you need to do some training and you need to repeat this training every year. And if you don't, um, the, the, the regulator isn't going to be very happy. Um, so it comes, it already comes from a bit of a, a bad place. It, it, it almost feels like a punishment. This is something that we, we have to do. It's unpleasant. Let's, you know, let's just get it over with. Um, and, I, and I share all of those impulses. You know, I've, I've been in this industry a long time and I know, I know how it works. Um, but 
I've always taken the view that, you know, regardless how dry the topic is, there's always a story there. There's always a reason for this happening. There's, you know, and, that, and that's a little bit more, and often is a little bit more than the regulator says we need to do it. Often the story of why the regulator says we need to do it is, is really quite interesting. Um, and ultimately what we're looking at here is, is avoiding some consequences that could be bad for, for the company, bad for your bottom line, bad for your reputation, bad for the customer. By And by telling that story, by kind of presenting what the possible outcomes of not doing this might be, that's that's where I think the magic lies. Um, and you can often transpose that conversation into sometimes quite um, fanciful stories, you know, and settings that are clearly not going to happen. But that's about the message. The message there is these are the potential outcomes. This is what, what could happen on a really bad day. And I've always been fascinated by the kind of the darkest timeline. What, what, you know, when you've got faced with two choices, if you took one, one or two decisions, what, what would end up with the company in financial ruin and the, and the door chained up and you have to empty your desk? You know, that's the absolute kind of like nuclear option. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it, it's absurd even, even as I'm saying it. But I think when you put things in a wider context like that, you know, what, the butterfly effect between you at your desk not doing what you're supposed to do and the company being inspected by a regulator and that becoming a bigger issue um, and connecting those dots. And, and that's the story. Uh, and there's always been a story there, um, but it's just about putting that across in the way that's engaging and interesting and doesn't soft soap it, but also, you know, makes it obvious that these are the outcomes if you, if you don't do that. So often, often my design has been shaped by the fact that there's a compliance aspect to it. And on the flip side of that, um, often I've been asked to design things that are almost kind of um, shop windows for a financial product, for instance. So that's the kind of fluffier, nicer side of financial services. We're saying, what could this product do for you and the customer? What are the, what's the happy path? What's the happiest timeline to come out of this? Someone buys a policy, meets their needs when they've had an accident or they've had a, a loss, and they get what they need from that, that service, and, and they're happy with it. Um, so that's the kind of flip side as well. And there's a story there as well, even as you say, you know, there's, there's somebody in a circumstance that's perhaps maybe not of their own making and we need to help them. And this is how we do it. And this is the outcome. Um, so I think if you scratch the surface of any process based, um, process based company, such as insurance, for instance, um, you know, there's a reason for that process. And that's where the story is. Right, right. I, I love how you started out with, so we call them compliance trainings and sexual harassment trainings here, which are year after year, and everybody has to check the box of training it, of taking it. Um, and, and yeah, most people have the attitude like, yeah, let's, let's get it over and done with. Um, but I think there's a lot when you say, you know, scratching the surface, you are actually going really, really deep. You are going behind the scenes. You're kind of pulling the curtain behind and saying, why right why do we need to comply with this why is it that we need to check this box there's obviously something some incident that has happened either at the company level or the employee level that has triggered it i also love the fact that you want to humanize it because you, you're bringing that human element with the stories on why is it that we need to study this content why is it that we need to comply right 
and also your your I love how you say the fun element is that is that customer's journey, right? The happy path on on somebody's buying insurance. We call it in healthcare, we call it the customer's journey, right? You you go from from one layer to the next to the next and, and then eventually come a full circle. Um, so you know, I know there's you've you've desi- you've uh, defined a lot of scenarios in 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 a very short time span but i know that there are many different types of stories many different types of definitions of storytelling a lot of people who are just getting into storytelling have a very narrow vision um can you d- give me a very basic definition of what storytelling is for me it's it's a a narrative which has a beginning a middle and end and um, it presents an antagonist or the main character with a situation that they need to overcome and resolve. And that's where the drama is. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the hero, the, the main character, being faced with an unknown situation, something they've never encountered before. They need to overcome that. And it's essentially the, the hero's journey and that you emerge from the other side of this story transformed um, with you know new knowledge, new skills, um, you know like a phoenix from the ashes. You, you've overcome you've overcome this challenge. Um, so storytelling for me is all about that that narrative that 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 kind of mono myth. Um, it, it transcends cultures and countries. You know that that hero's journey that faced faced with an obstacle. How does how does that person? How do you? How does the character overcome that obstacle? And that's. That's for me, you know, every story boils down to somebody facing a challenge that they need to overcome. Um, and, you know, whether that's quite sedate, genteel challenges like Pride and Prejudice um, or something that's a little bit more, you know, harder edged. Um, you know, it's about people overcoming a situation that they didn't really see coming. Um, so I know that's not quite a nutshell, but uh, that's that's the way I see it. Um, all, all stories, all stories boil down to to that. A narrative is about humans overcoming challenge. Right, right. Um, and and I do want to dive into your hero's journey because I know that that has multiple layer design layers in it too. But even before you get to the hero's journey, there's the whole project management aspect of mm-hmm. of collecting the data or kind of doing the front end analysis uh, before you get into storytelling. So tell me about what kind of research goes into designing a story. What do you For do me, essentially? Sorry. Yeah, I mean it's it's a little bit like. Um, I mean, I'm a big fan of spoilers. Um, I mean, I haven't seen a new James Bond film, but I know exactly what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't spoil the film for me. Um, I actually go into into films sometimes knowing what happens with a greater appreciation for how how the story's been built. So I'm very much about working back from the back from the ending. Um, and again, that comes back to being in a situation professionally where that ending is something that needs to be at some point shown on a spreadsheet somewhere. That, that people have, have seen that ending, that people have, have seen the spoilers. They know what happens at the end and the FCA or the regulator knows that they know, they know the ending. And so I always work backwards from the ending. So um, that, that for me is why it's so important that even at a very kind of superficial level, um, when you look at things like results slides, um, that's your original branching scenario. You either pass or you fail. Um, so if you do nothing else, when you're, when you're mapping out a course, it's to establish what the consequences are for passing and the consequences are for failing. And beyond that being just you've passed or failed, 
how can you illustrate that in a way that's consistent with the topic that you're talking about and, and then theme the rest of your content around that and make sure that your, your results slide is, is, is themed, themed to, you know, to, to, to meet that, to, to, to complete the story. So I always work backwards from that. Um, and that's, you know, that's just the way I've come to work because of the, the environment that I've been in. Um, but that does mean that, you know, it, it, it kind of, you can then branch backwards to see the paths that would have arrived there. And then in conversations with, with SMEs, map out um, where we want to get to and then by definition where we don't want to get to and then you start to see the overall shape of, of, of a story emerge from it um, and sometimes there can be very short stories I mean I always consider you know any any series of questions with a result slide to in essence be a very short story it's an opportunity to tell a very short story um, in a kind of very kind of focused micro learning kind of way but again, it's, it's all, all for me about working backwards from what, what are the outcomes that need to be illustrated here? And often, unfortunately, because of this, the profession I work in, that, that, there's, that's because it's for compliance purposes. But that's not always the case. Um, you know, there, there, there are pieces I've built that are not so compliance focused um, where I've taken the journey and I've, I've followed the journey myself. You know, I haven't necessarily known where this is going to end. Um, because the piece has evolved in, in, in discussions with SMEs. Um, you know, the process perhaps hasn't been quite mapped out yet. It was a new process that's not yet bedded in in the business. That's always an interesting environment to work in as well, because you often find out what the, the outcomes of these processes are as they're being implemented. Um, and again, that's just about being thorough in your analysis about what's, what's happening in, in, this, in this process, what needs to happen, what could happen if certain milestones aren't met buttons aren't pressed and what does that look like um and i'm a big fan of post-it notes and very large sheets of yes. flip chart paper very old school and, and, and mapping mapping all of these these consequences out um but what does interest me as well is that um you know when people start to, to work in this way they can become very bogged down on a branching scenario being very elaborate um very adaptive um, and, you know, pr presenting very complex changes of content for, for, the, for the, the learner, for the user, um, which ultimately what, what very good and very sophisticated branching scenarios are designed to do is, is exactly that. You know, you'll probably only see 20, 30, 40% of the content as you need to see it based on the answers that you provided. You know, that, that is the ultimate expression of branching scenarios to me, where you've got that adaptive content. Um, but I always come back to Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, if Indiana Jones was not in that film, the outcome would still be pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. Marion would probably be dead, mm -hmm. but the Nazis would still have found the Ark, maybe a little, maybe not quite as soon, and they still would have opened it and they still would have perished at the end in pretty much the same way. Mm -hmm. um, were you any less entertained by that? By that? Because, no, you know, because... Indiana Jones didn't really influence the plot. Maybe, maybe not. Um, along the way, did you learn anything about, you know, um, Christian myths and archaeology? Mm -hmm. To a lesser extent, maybe. Yeah. Um, but again, that's a situation where you've got a, a protagonist acting, presumably affecting the events, but the ultimate outcome hasn't really changed. So what also interests me as well is that we can also put, put content together that is very linear mm -hmm. 
and has a very kind of, it's very thin, it's very flat, there's no depth to it really. But you can use the illusion of choice and the illusion of storytelling and the illusion of branching scenarios to get pe- keep people engaged, keep them watching along, keep them following Indiana Jones to the end. The ending's never going to change. Um, whether Indiana Jones was there or not, the ending's never going to change. But you, you've, stuck, you've stuck through it. You've watched it. You've, in, you've engaged with it. You've interacted with it. So there's, a, there's often a situation I'm faced where an SME will come to me with a very thin set of material and there's not a lot of consequences and there's not, not a lot of outcomes. There's not a lot of chaos. Um, and in most instances, it's fun to actually add a few layers and add a bit of chaos it appears to be chaos, but the end result's always the same. Um, but what you've done there is you've kept people sat in their seat. You've kept them engaged. You've, you've pointed out the milestones. You've conveyed the information, and then you've got to the end. Um, so those are the three, really. Working backwards where we know what the outcome needs to be. Working forwards where we don't necessarily know that yet. And also adding layers where they're perhaps doesn't necessarily need to be them but adding them adds engagement and adds interest and adds um, just a bit of an x factor that makes that training pop and stick in your mind and stay there right right um i know how you you, i love how you define it so you know so creatively um you know if i were to pull out um some of the the project management perspectives that you so creatively have in your process of working backwards is talking to the SME um having story maps which a lot of people like to jump over right they don't they don't go through that whole story map because it's a it's a for lack of a better term it's a boring process because stories are way more interesting and and the tools are way more interesting and we gravitate towards that but i've seen some of the the products that you've designed in um the the e-learning heroes community and you actually do go through that entire process of fact finding with a SME adding the layers as you said um and then building a story map with this with the the post-it notes as you said which you know i i think it's fun to play around with post-it notes um and like you said maybe we are just old school uh and then and then going into the branching scenario but i think going from the story map to the branching scenario is where your crafting element comes in your your creativity your craft comes in in designing that story so let's say we've done all our data gathering from the SME, we've we've done the story map, how do you pull the story apart? Essentially, how do you design that entire hero's journey and build in the different elements to hook your audience and keep them hooked from beginning to the end and deliver the content? I, I know that's a, that's, that's a loaded <laughs> question. I know that. But I really want to hear more about how you design that, that hero's journey in there. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a great question. And it's one you have to ask yourself, fresh each time. Um, I mean, it's certainly been the case in the past that, you know, I've had an idea going into a meeting or going into a design that something I've done before would work in this instance, but I never want to assume that again. So I always try to kind of, you know, maybe kind of like try and suppress that. Um, So I'm not telling the same story. Um, But ultimately, you know, you've got the same elements each time you've got a character you've got a setting you've got the plot um, which is the kind of the circumstances in which the the character finds themselves the world that they live in um the conflict that arises in that world and then and then how that's resolved um and 
often the setting uh, can define the character. Um, so it, rather than thinking of these as a kind of five very kind of separate separate elements, for instance, um, I haven't built a course on it, but if I was to build a course on um, food hygiene and food safety, for instance, um, so that immediately gives you a couple of settings. You know, you could have um, a restaurant, a takeaway, a food, a food van, a food truck. Um, so that then points you at certain characters. Um, so the character and the setting can can kind of blur together. Um, then, of course, the the plot. You know, so this is a, this is a this is a piece about food food hygiene and food safety, um, and the, you know. The plot then to, to emphasize that is going to talk about failures to maintain proper standards um so you you present then a, a conflict in, in in that situation where this character has to make a choice which ultimately means that those food standards haven't been met um and the outcome of that you know is you're going to make your customers sick or unwell or the food inspector is going to shut your, your restaurant down. And you can already start to see that there's, there's lots of different things that could come out of just a few key decisions about how some food is stored or kept um, and how you would then resolve it. So what interests me in, in, in that situation then is, 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 is giving, giving the, the learner, the user, the opportunity to kind of see where these decisions took them um, and then giving them an opportunity to, to resolve it satisfactorily. Um, and some of that is about in these story loops that I build, um, arriving at that unhappy conclusion, um, but then allowing the, the learner to go back three or four paces to correct that decision. Um, and I think there's a lot of appetite amongst um, audiences um, now for that kind of story mechanism. Um, you know, I, I, I grew up reading comics, watching science fiction when it was unfashionable. Uh, and now it seems like everywhere is all about science fiction, superheroes. You know. The last Avengers film, uh, Avengers Endgame, the, the key element of that plot was essentially doing that. You know, things ended badly. We need to go back and correct that. So I think audiences um, are very receptive to that ability to do that. and very receptive to the idea in storytelling terms that there isn't one ending. This isn't, this isn't, a, this isn't a book in, in a traditional sense. It's not a story in a traditional sense. It's not a film in a traditional sense. This is an in, in interactive media. So when it comes to, to mapping out that story, um, I always try to factor in that at a certain point toward, toward the end of the, of the story arc, that arc's going to come back on itself a few times and it's going to present people the opportunity to kind of repeat the last part of the story and then come back. Um, and and that, that, you know, that can be quite um, tricky, both technically and, and narratively to, to, to create, but it's very rewarding to be able to do that, to be able to kind of say at a certain point in this, in this story, in this map that we've built, that this is the point where we're going to be able to come back to and, and, and put, what, put right what once went wrong, to quote an old science fiction show called Quantum Leap. Right. Um, so that, that's, that's where my overall thinking goes in terms of, of building it out. But it, as I say, it's often the case that the, the, the plot and the setting and the character kind of all blur into each other. Um, and, and that's driven by, the, that's driven by the, um, the brief that you're given by your SME. Um, you know, you know what sector you work in, you know what, what the, the plot is almost by, by definition because you're being asked to address a particular problem. 
to, to illustrate a particular um, kink in the process, um, particular QA findings that we need to address. There's a, there's a root problem that needs to be addressed, which often defines all of those for you. Um, so that's that's in a very kind of broad way how I'd, I'd go about it with a kind of fictional example of, of you know, a food truck that's being shut down by the inspector. Uh, I'm not smiling here as I'm saying that because I can almost imagine how that would look and, and, and start to and start to play out. Right, right. Um, so one thing that I've noticed is just as your stories are customized, your characters are customized, right? Um, and I know that the the plot, the setting, the characters kind of blur into each other, as you said. Um, but I'm still intrigued to ask, how do you make these characters relatable? Like, is there a profile that you develop after you have a conversation with the SME? How do you define the elements of the character and and make sure that this is something that the audience can can relate to? Uh, that again is is a brilliant question, um, and I, I wish I had a concise answer for you. Um, what what I think it often boils down to is um, clearly the character design is often influenced by by the theme and the setting, as we've already discussed. Um, and you know, Rance Green in particular in, in his book, the copy of which I have here, um, you know, has a lot to say about making characters relatable and believable and you know integral to the story um now when you're working with a piece of software like articulate for instance you have the option of having three styles of character so you've got the, the very cartoonish classic classic characters you've got the more up-to-date modern illustrated characters and then you have the photographic characters uh, i'm i'm very conscious as you know a, a middle-aged white male in the uk that my lived experience isn't everybody else's lived experience. And as, as an e-learning designer, I have a responsibility to make sure that people are represented correctly in, in, in courses. Um, and again, putting characters in courses that are relatable, um, there's a lot of cultural baggage that can come along with that as well. Um, my impulse is to, is to use cartoon rather than photographic characters a lot of the time because I think that I think that takes some of the cultural baggage away from it. I think people people often relate better to cartoon characters, um, and they can tend to be cross-cultural in a way that perhaps photographic characters are not. Now, there's a place for photographic characters, and I have used them, um, but I think it's often easier to use in terms of character design characters that are, are, are cartoonish and sometimes not even human. Um, because I think that there's 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 the kind of there's a truthfulness. There's a, there's a kind of uh, universal truthfulness to those kind of characters, which which I think transcends any kind of cultural considerations. I've become more aware of this recently as well because the company I've just joined, um, we have a, a large call centre in the Philippines, um, and you know what what it, the cultural shorthand I've used in the UK might not translate so well in the Philippines, for instance. So I think when I'm building a kind of profile for the user and trying to mesh that with the story I'm telling and making sure that, that it's relatable, that that's going to become increasingly important to me in my new role. But it's always been important to me because the last thing you want is for a character to be kind of unlikable, um, accidentally offensive, for instance, and really take people out of that story. Right. Um, so what I have experimented with in the past, I have a couple of examples of, is, is where actually you become the character in the very first person sort of way. So the, the, the course happens to you 
you you you're looking at events as if you were the character um so is it all right if i just share my screen just oh briefly. go ahead yes i'd love to see your um, example so i've just got a, you know just just to kind of highlight this sure. um let's have a look no i i think there's a lot of awareness in terms of when we are serving the community of lnd uh you know the learners on the other end what schema do they bring, like you mentioned, and the unconscious bias, right? We unconsciously tend to gravitate towards our cultural values or the country that we are living in. And it's so easily forgotten that the, the reference of reference to context or even the media that we refer to within the United States might not be relevant in, like you said, the Philippines or anywhere in Asia where some of the learners might actually be physically located. So, um, you know, you've taken, I, I was going to relatable characters, but you've, you've taken the discussion to a whole different level where, you know, a lot of us forget that we are not geographically any more restricted within the United States or Europe. Like our learners are across the board in, you know, across the entire uh, continent and um, different continents in many cases. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, if you turn if you turn the, the sound off as well. Um, sound off or on? Yeah, if the sound off, that that'll be fine. That'll be fine. Okay. Um, so in this example, you can see at the beginning, you do have a choice of picking a player. Um, so if you click change player, you'll see there's there's four character types that are based on the um, modern illustrated character within Articulate, uh, and and they are pretty generic, but do span genders and and yeah, races. Um, but once you're in the lift, you then assume that that character's sort of point of view. And from here on in, you're in a situation where the action is happening to you. So you you become that character. So in terms of picking a, an avatar, then it's it's a superficial choice because from here on in, you're going to be the you are that character. So. This is this is something I'd like to explore in a bit a bit more detail in, in further courses and, and, and attempt the you know attempt to refine this. Mm -hmm. But this course here is essentially a very big course that's attached to a workbook, and the uh, character here now is a computer. So this computer character speaks to you, uh, addresses you as your agent's identity. So this is Agent K. I'm pleased to meet you. I see you've got your mission notes with you today. Mm -hmm. And it is now going to uh, go through a series of steps to establish whether you have read your mission notes and offer you the opportunity to um, either have a pretest about the mission content or go straight to the main challenge, which is to get into a vault in the basement of this building. Um, now this is this is a little bit tongue in cheek because it's taken the Financial Conduct Authority, the FCA in the UK, and kind of cast them as a kind of FBI style agency. And you 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 are trying to meet their standards by by being able to answer these questions and get into the vault. I see. Um, so if you click on the um, the document in the middle of the picture, yeah. sorry the um the sorry that's the, the next, that's that's one that's okay. one. So now the character. Um, this character does have a voice, but for the purposes of this demonstration, we've, we've muted it. Um, this character, this robotic character, uses the text-to-speech feature in Articulate, so it's very robotic. And normally, that's you know, people don't respond well to robotic voices, but it becomes a feature of the character. Um, 
this slightly um, sinister metallic voice, which is kind of just making sure, you know, have, have you read these mission notes before you're going to attempt this? Um, and the look of this character, this robotic character, is influenced by 2001 A Space Odyssey, um, but also later in the course, a little bit like GLaDOS from the Portal games. Um, so if you press yes here, what you'll see then Oops. is, yeah, that's fine, you press yes. Okay, um, cool. So these are um, the aims and objectives of the course, but what we're actually asking you as the learner here is, which of these are you confident about? So rather than sitting and saying, you know, these are the aims and objectives and patting people on the head, we're saying, you know, which ones are you confident about? So if you were to select two or three of those at random, um, there we go, and then hit next. It's now this character, this robotic character is now saying to you, look, do you want a, do you want a quick test on this before you get to the vault? And here at this point, it will offer you the choice to have um, a very short quiz on the contents. And if you press yes, you'll get some questions. Um, now, when we talk about stories having consequences, um, what you'll see if you put a correct answer is that the lift will turn green. But if you put the incorrect answer, the lift's going to turn red and there might be a few sparks and a few kind of signs that all is not well here. So if you just pop an answer in for, at random, there we go. And then how do I hit submit? It should just, ah, it looks like it's hung. Um, ah, there's three. Yes, that question is yes. So big one, you need to select three on this one. Oh, okay. So, yeah, there you go. Hmm. Don't so red, you, like you said. So, yep. Yeah, so... You're going to go to the next question. And again, just, just pop anything in for demonstration purposes. There we go. So this is a very quick print test. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's try a correct answer here. <laughs> I don't know. I want to see that what that looks like. So yeah. um, what would I, my guess would be share capital, but I could be wrong. Is that the correct answer? I, I honestly don't know. It's been a while since I've done the questions. Oh, it was reserved. Never mind. Um, but what this actually does show us is that this is the unhappy path. Okay. Um, so at this point here, your character uh, is stuck in the lift. Mm. Um, now you've got a choice here in storytelling terms. Do you pull the lever and restart the course? Or do you want to continue? Despite the setbacks, do you want to continue? And if you press yes to continue, what you'll see here is the character is silhouetted. So again, you're not actually putting too much of an identity on that character. Um, you are just representing that person in a very kind of abstract way in, in escaping from the lift. Uh, and we'll close that example down now because we could we could sit there all day with that. Yes, but, of course. But, but the majority of the the, the majority of the character interactions there is a robotic character using the text to speech voice, which is built into storyline. Um, and using that as a as a feature rather than a bug, you know, it's not a bug; it's a feature. We know that people don't respond well to artificial voices, but in certain circumstances, that can form part of your character design. Um, so, combined with that first person approach, where you, you know, the events happening to you, um, I think I think that's a way around some of those considerations you may have about making sure that your character is relatable by putting the learner in as as the character in a way that's more than the superficial choice of an avatar. Um, that having been said, I still think there's a lot of fun in picking a character and seeing just terrible things happen to the character mm. in a kind of like you're playing a computer game, not Mario 
sort of right, way. Right, right, um, Super Mario, yeah. But that's why I think sort of cartoonish and, and non-human characters um, have have a lot of currency and a lot of value in, in, in the field that we work in. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's a creative way of uh, getting around that cultural bias that unconsciously, you know, goes into uh, the realistic characters that are available in storyline. Um, let's navigate towards the graphics, because I know that's another thing that you tend to customize for every story that you design. How do you choose the graphics or the color schemes that go with your stories? Um, again, that's driven by the setting a lot of the time. Um, and it's often driven by what I'm actually technically able to do. Um, I'm big. I'm a really big fan of PowerPoint. I know it's not very fashionable, um, but um, a lot of what I design is either in PowerPoint or very, very simple use of Photoshop. Mm. Um, I'm by no means an advanced graphic designer, um, but if you know your way around both of those programs, you can you can kind of build build the furniture, you know, and and, and add add to things like storyline. Um, now, of course, in, in software like Beyond, you get the ability to, to create, create custom characters from scratch as well, which I'm, which I'm really fond of. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of the, the graphics and the overall look, that's often going to be um, determined by the setting, um, determined by the choice of characters I'm, I'm using. So in, in that example, we just looked at the illustrated modern characters. Um, the, you know, the, the colors are reasonably muted. Um, they're reasonably realistic, uh, ergo the setting I put them in is, is sort of quasi-realistic as well. If I was using the the earlier classic characters, for instance, I'd go for something that was very much more cartoonish, which I've done in the past. Uh, a few examples on my LinkedIn page and on my, my blog with a, a catering van, and, and that's very kind of blocky and cartoonish. And then the characters that you put in from Articulate, for instance, then sit, sit in that setting very easily. Um, they don't. They don't look like they've just been dropped in. Um, and equally with Beyond, for instance, as well, um, their characters are, you know, they are cartoonish by design. Um, but you can then, you know, there's a great stock of graphics and furniture and props that you can use in Beyond characters. But it's very easy to make your own, uh, in, in even in even in PowerPoint without even going to Photoshop um, and dropping those into Beyond, and they don't look out of place. Um, because again, you're still you're still operating in that kind of quite brightly hued, cartoonish, blocky design. Um, but if you um, you know want something that's a bit more sophisticated, is a is a little bit more serious in tone. Clearly, you know you're going to move away from using um, that, that cartoonish, bright approach and move to perhaps towards something where you do use photographic characters and do use real representations of people. Um, and then your color scheme and your setting will will move in that direction as well. Right. Um, so it's it's a, it's the character design and the graphics um, are a kind of um, they they derive from they derive from both the setting and they derive from both the approach and the tone that you're trying to achieve as well. Um, and clearly there are certain topics for which that cartoonish, bright, poppy approach won't be appropriate. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that, that can then influence your, your design and your character selection as well. 
Right, right. You mentioned PowerPoint. Um, you know, I, I gravitate towards um, PowerPoint as well in terms of storyboarding um, in many cases. PowerPoint is a very powerful tool because it's compatible with some of the other bigger tools that we use. Um, that takes me to the discussion of what are your go-to tools for designing storytelling? Well, that's why my Twitter handle is Dev by PowerPoint, because <laughs> even if it's that very early um, sketching out storyboarding PowerPoint all, all, all day long, you know, you, 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 you can you can do um, quite sophisticated animations in it. Um, you can you can build um, props, um, flesh out templates, uh, layouts. It's just, I just find it very versatile. There's so much, so much you can do with it. Um, but then, having said that, there's things that we can't do in that that things like Photoshop can. Um, so I, I probably, in terms of creating graphics, it's probably about a 70-30 split at the moment between um, penciling something out in PowerPoint, and often that's actually sufficient for the end product, but then either refining that or moving that into Photoshop, or then, you know, just using the PowerPoint as a basis, um, a sketch to then build something completely in, in Photoshop. So they're, they're the main two in terms of graphics. But I'm also very fond of a site called Open Game Art, mm. um, where a lot of contributors uh, produce their own animated graphics and GIFs, um, which kind of plays to my kind of playful sense of using kind of, you know, old style computer game approaches sometimes. Uh, that's a really nice resource. Uh, and there's lots of very generous contributors on there who will share um, assets which you can use on um, a royalty-free basis. Um, that's that's really good. And the Unity game engine, I've started playing with a little bit as well. Um, so I've been using Unity to kind of build my own games in a, in a truly traditional sense of video games, just as a kind of hobby. Mm -hmm. um, what you can do in that as well is you can you can export assets from that as well, which I've done in the past, and use those in Storyline as well. Um, so. Um, there's lots of bits and bobs that kind of I can pull in from those from those sites where I think it serves the purpose. But I build for I build the majority of my pieces in Storyline in some form, um, and it, and we can't underestimate the the editing and and uh, graphic creation capabilities of Storyline. Um, you know, there's lots of stuff you can do in Storyline, uh, especially then teaming that with the jump to time trigger to essentially create repeated GIF-like animations. Um, which is which is really handy. In that example, we just went through the the lights that pulse in the lift repeatedly. Um, that's just a, a shape in storyline that moves up and down um, repeatedly, powered by the jump time trigger. Um, so the, the animation capabilities of storyline are a little bit kind of under under publicised. Um, the jump to time trigger isn't isn't designed to primarily to do animations, but it's it's very good for doing that sort of thing. Um, and just with just simple shapes and a little bit of some the kind of thought for how that might look if it repeats. Um, you know, I've had I've given this I've given the impression that a car is moving by having wheels turning constantly. And that again is just just based on the jump to time trigger. Um, so there's lots you can do actually within storyline without even kind of going deep into um, more specialised products like the Adobe Creative Creative Cloud, and I know that a lot of instruction designers starting out um, either don't have access to that because it's expensive software. Their department hasn't signed it off. Right. Um, it's quite a steep learning curve, you know. Even now, I'm still finding out things about the Adobe Creative um, Suite that 
which I wish I'd known four years ago, but you know, that, that, that's learning for you. Right. Um, so that's, you know, it, it's, a, it's a mishmash of all of those resources. But I am very, I'm becoming very fond of Beyond because I think um, just as a kind of uh, open up the toolbox and, and from a cold start, you can just do so much in Beyond, um, which again, I wish I had that four years ago as well. It's really impressive to see how some of these products have come along in this time. Right, right. Um, let's jump to a different topic. You talk extensively about customizing the results slide, right? A lot of us just tend to use that standard out-of-the-box results slide. Hey, you passed or try again, you know. Um, talk to me, why is it important to customize the results slide? I think just, I, I just think we just need to give learners, you know, just 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 a bit of respect, really. Um, I think if you are, um, say for instance, you are in a financial services <laughs> organization that produces a lot of courses, um, it, the temptation might be to have a results slide that's the same on every course, um, which is fine. It, it, it does its job. Um, but then if you're also saying to your staff, you really need to sit and do these courses, um, we really need you to kind of pay attention to these and you know invest invest in your development here. Um, I think it's slightly insulting to kind of have um, the same results line every time uh, in the same course design. And of course, you know you can't go mad and have every course looking completely different. But I think just some acknowledgement that each time you've reached a results slide, it's for a different course. You, you, this results slide is giving you results about a different topic from the last one. It just helps put some clear water between each course. So at that level, I think just just, just respecting your audience that you've put some care into this um, and they're not just going to get snow blind by just seeing the same templated results slide every time. And it almost becomes a kind of anti-climax. Um, so coming back to the start of our discussion about essentially results slides being the original branching scenario, it's always occurred to me that, you know, what's the result of not, of not passing this? Um, and can, can you illustrate that in some way that, that, as it, that, that conveys they haven't passed it in a way that's as effective as saying, well, you've only scored 70% and the pass rate is 80%. Um, so, you know, I've done catering, trailer courses and catering outside catering courses where um the catering van catches fire um and or, or where customers, <laughs> yeah or where customers have come away from the catering van happy for instance and again that's using the the classic characters in a very cartoonish way right. clearly clearly a catering van catching fire in real life isn't isn't that funny yeah. but if you put it into a kind of cartoonish setting um, you've got an opportunity on that results slide to firstly just say, look, unfortunately you haven't passed. Right. But hey, this isn't a big deal. But look, look, look what the outcome is here. Um, so that more cartoonish end, it can be quite, it can be quite fun. Mm -hmm. And it'd be quite tongue-in-cheek, and it can say, look, you know, come on, you haven't passed. Let's have another go at let's have another go at this. And I think that results side is an opportunity to almost remarket the course to say, have another go, try again, rather than just using the, the, the basic template and the button to review results and the button to try again, um, putting that in the, again, back in, feeding it back in, knitting it back into the setting 
and the, and the story that you've been trying to tell? What were the consequences of, of failing in the context of your food hygiene, your fire safety, your, your customer service? Um, you know, and illustrating that with a results slide is is an opportunity I think a lot of us miss. Um, and if you don't do anything else with branching scenarios, if you only add a short a short two outcome story to the end of your course on the results slide, you've already started doing branching scenarios. And I think a lot of people who are just setting out in this profession, um, I just wish I could say to them, you know, there's some very good very good work out there about branching scenarios and the value of branching scenarios and complex adaptive content is unmatched and it's been academically proven to you know improve results improve retention it means that you're not putting people through unnecessary content it's amazing and that's the standard we should be striving for but baby steps in the meantime yeah. if you're just getting into this your branching scenario the first one you can do is your results slide um, and I think if you get into the habit of doing that regularly, it gives you confidence to, to start doing it earlier in the course. Okay. To you know, to, to look at how the story might change earlier. You know, the outcomes may differ sooner um, before you you know you push, push it all to the results slide. Okay. Um, so I'm 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 quite evangelical about it. Um, yes. I think if I could, if I could say to myself when I started out in this, pay more attention to your results slides, um, because ultimately that's you, you don't want to leave a bad taste in the user's mouth. You know, you, you you want you want that learner to acknowledge where they may have failed, but be encouraged to try again, um, and and that's your opportunity to do it with the results slide. And the way you present that is really important to that equation. I think. Right. Right. Um... Another element that I've noticed is is the sound effects that you put in your stories. Um, how do you choose the sound effect to jive with the with the story? And where do you get your sound? Like, what are, what are some of the sites that we can leverage to embed those sounds into our stories? Sound effects is a really interesting area. Um, I, I have to be conscious sometimes that often the courses I designed are going to be viewed um in an office environment um now i know we're in a situation now where the world of work has changed considerably and most of us are in, a, in if your job can be done digitally you're going to be working from home right. um but in the past i've had to think about if i put loads of music and sound effects into this course is that going to upset somebody in the next cubicle when they're trying to have a conversation mm -hmm. um, so i would say first of all if you need sound effects always give the users the ability to turn them off um, so you know, keep keep that volume control button in your in your player window, um, or else you know, customize it so there's a, there's a point where the, the sound effects can be switched on and off. Um, they can they can be a little bit distracting if for somebody who's not doing the course. But I think if you're doing the course, and particularly in terms of storytelling, you're talking about consequences and outcomes of decisions. Um, the sound effects. Um, come very naturally from, from the setting of from that situation. Um, I, I did a, a demo in e-learning heroes challenges called spinning plates, um, which again used the jump to time trigger to just create very simple animations. And it was literally, the idea is you, you keep three plates spinning during a, a quiz about multitasking. You know, there's a bit of kind of play, play on theme here. Right. Um, 
So of course the sound effect when the when the um, plates drop is 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 a plate smashing. Um, now that's not a common sound effect that you will find either built into your authoring software or um, you know it's unlikely that your family will be happy with you smashing all the crockery in your kitchen to make the sound effect yourself. So my go-to um, repository is a site called freesound.org, um, which again is a very um, open, gracious, user-driven community. Um, and within that, you can find um, examples of sound effects which people have shared on a completely um, royalty-free um, Creative Commons license. Um, so my second part of advice is that if you're using a site like Freesound, is to um, filter the results of the searches to the, the royalty-free CCO licensed um, sounds. What that means is that you can put them in your course without having to attribute and without having to pay royalties. Right. Um, so the downside of that is, of course, is that um, uh, there's, there's, there's sometimes some really good sound effects that, that are not free to use. Um, and if, if they were fundamental, if you couldn't find another sound effect, you might need to consider paying for that sound effect. But again, coming back to working on a budget, working with limited budgets and software, free sound is really good for that. Um, and the, you know, the, the quality of the contributions can vary. But in the main, this is a very kind of passionate community of sound effects artists who contribute very good quality sound effects. But it's always good when you downloaded them to just listen to them on headphones, just to make sure that you know there's no crackling or popping or disruption um and it's also sometimes the case that you might want to rinse them through another program like audacity or somebody adobe suite just just to clean up the sound or to you know make make edits to it but again you can edit the edit the sounds in, in articulate as well for instance right. um so that's my first go-to resource and um you know so if a door shut plate dropped doors slammed doors opened um answer answers given correctly and answers given incorrectly there's, there's a sound effect for everything but they will be defined by the setting setting of your course i do gravitate toward the kind of classic chip tune eight bits kind of 80s computer game sound effects because a lot of my designs do incorporate those kind of elements um, but there's lots of very realistic sound effects on there as well. Uh, and sometimes there's really, um, really good kind of just ambient noise. So if you just want to create a bit of a, create a, bit of a mood, um, if you've paired it with an image, for instance, of, you know, a, a, you know, a, a, busy, a busy market street in the, in a warm summer's evening, you know, you, you'd be surprised what you can find on free sound that kind of just sets the ambience there. Um, so it doesn't necessarily need to be about noises that happen when you've clicked something, it can just be about that kind of ambience and, and, and setting setting a mood. And the YouTube music library is very good for that as well. So as part of YouTube Studio, um, you have access to YouTube uh, music library. Um, there's also a range of sound effects in there uh, and also a range of very good, well-produced, incidental, introductory, dramatic music. And again, you can filter those results on, on those tracks, which you can use on a royalty-free uh, Creative Commons license, um, which means that you don't need to attribute or, or, or pay for those. Because the last thing you want is to have you know, created this great piece and then get into trouble for using sound effects and music that you're not entitled to use. Um, so those are the two resources, YouTube Music Library and, and freesound.org. I'm aware there are many more out there. Right. Um, 
but, but for me, so far in my career today, I, I've never needed to go elsewhere. Sweet. Thanks for sharing those. Uh, I wasn't, well, YouTube music I was familiar with, but freesound.org. And I think, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the royalty-free, the CCO license um, perspective, because I think a lot of us shy away from using sound effects or music for that very reason, because it's unfamiliar territory for us. Stock photos are more commonly used. It, things have been discussed openly in the L&D space on how to use those. Music is still that uncharted territory where people are not sure if they can be embedded and they are infringing upon somebody else's rights. Um, let's talk about, I want, I, you know, you keep stepping up the level of storytelling. So you've got a boring scenario, like that would be your baseline layer, right? You've got your boring scenario, which would be a compliance or insurance fraud or whatever and presenting the content as is. Then, John, you take it up to the next level with storytelling. You add the story and the branching scenarios and all of that. And then what I've seen you do is that not just the, the, the customizing, the, the sounds, the, the characters, all of that kind of comes into your storytelling element, but then you've also stepped it up another level with gamification and interactive videos. Tell me, how do you layer these things one on top of each other? And why is it important to keep stepping it up? Because, you know, I, I, I hear you that going from the, the receptivity of, a, of an audience is, is lesser if the content is boring, but you've just pulled the audience into your learning by adding that gamification and interactive video. How, how, do, you, how do you keep adding? Like, what is your secret formula of adding all these layers in here? Um, I don't think there's too much of a secret to it, really. I hope not. And it's very nice to, to hear that, that feedback. Um, I think um, I'm very influenced by, you know, uh, popular culture, computer games. Um, I think some of the storytelling that, that's in computer games is phenomenal. Um, and that's really opened my eyes to how the story can... Um, your progress in the story can be represented not just in terms of consequences, but also in terms of rewards, acknowledgements, badges, gamification, and the like. Um, my wife's a big gamer, and um, she's much better at computer games than I am. Um, but I, I just love watching her playing The Last of Us series. The Last of Us series was was, was amazing, uh, and particularly the last game. There were there were certain elements in terms of um, how well your character would navigate a situation based on their prior performance, based on the resources they had available to them. Uh, and and, and that, that's that's where you get added complexity to, to storytelling and branching scenarios, because it's not just a choice then between two or three options. It's, well, actually, you know, you've got two or three options here, but the third option is, is going to be limited for you because at this point in the game, at this point in the story, you, you, you know, you haven't got the hammer. You, you haven't got the the item that you need to do this. It's going to, it's going to stop you. Um, so you're, you're almost then acknowledging and carrying forward the consequences of prior decisions uh, and poor decision-making and seeing then how it kind of spirals out and, and ripples out uh, to affect subsequent decisions. So for me, the gamification element works best when it does that. It's, it's, it's about um, not necessarily points and prizes and badges, um, but your... Um, kind of your XP points, your ability to navigate the rest of the course, your ability to proceed um, 
is informed by the prior choices. And just as an example I just showed you, when you get to the bottom of the, the lift, you've answered some of the questions incorrectly, the lift's stuck, you've had to climb out. When you get out of the lift, you'll find that there's, there's five lasers that you need to get past. And if you'd answered all five questions in the lift correctly, those lasers would have gone away. But if you only answer one or two correctly, um, answer two correctly, two of the lasers will be deactivated. You've still got three things to overcome. And it's that kind of gamification I'm interested in. It's, it's, it's about um, carrying forward the consequences of decisions, giving power-ups or taking ability away from the learner, mm -hmm. uh, you know, removing obstacles or adding obstacles based on their, their prior performance. And if you can link that back into saying, as that example does, do you know what? <laughs> You're not doing so well here. I don't think you've actually engaged with this material that you said you'd engaged with. You've got a point now where you can kind of just um, take a kind of break and go and look at the material and then try again. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, there's and again, that's influenced by computer games as well. There's, there's points in games like save spaces, save points, spawn points, mm -hmm. where you know you're not going to get um injured or you, your progress isn't going to get hindered you can just stop and take a breather and i think that's very important as well um just giving people the the ability and space to say joe you know what here's my statistics here's what the the figures are saying about my progress so far i need to either improve my game in these areas or i'm going to have to kind of adapt my strategy to get to get through this accordingly um, and that's and that's where you start to get into that adaptive content um, and only putting content in front of, of learners that they need to see when they need to see it. Um, and if you can do that in terms of a story, mm -hmm. um, I think that makes it just just really powerful. Um, because um, as in that example in the lift, it's, it's taking some of the sting out of essentially saying to the learner, do you know what, I don't think you've read this or you've not actually engaged with the material in the way that you need to have done to in order to, to answer these questions correctly. That example is essentially a very sophisticated multiple choice question set, but that is giving gamified feedback to the user um, based on their performance at certain points and often the opportunity to, to power up, to power down, to power through, to restart. Um, so I know gamification, you know, tends to mean leaderboards, points, badges, right. um, and, and comparing your performance, particularly in terms of corporate learning, your performance on a leaderboard to your colleagues, for instance. Um, I think that remains a very powerful motivator. What I'm very interested in, though, is just having that kind of private conversation with the learner and saying, um, you know, how do you, how do you think you're doing versus what the stats say? and having them acknowledge where their weaknesses are right. uh, in a way that makes them address them. Um, so if you can get that as a, as a mechanism of the story, um, that, that is really, really magic formula, I think, for me. Um, and that's why, that's why I think so much consideration needs to be given to the character and the setting, um, because that will give you the, the, the framework, the, the kind of the physics and the environment in which you can score high or score low um, you can be rewarded for success or punished for failure yeah punished is probably too, too strong a word um but you know it's it, it's all about i think just taking that scenario to to its ultimate conclusion um 
and representing that in some way which is quantifiable. Interesting. Um, I, I, I do want to say that those three elements of that um, leaderboards, badges and points, those are one of the wider known gamification elements and in some of the easy go-tos or vanilla uh, gamification elements, you sort of like are embedding gamification at a different level. You are going beyond that surface level external motivation. You are kind of going towards that intrinsic motivation with what you're embedding, the gamification elements that you're embedding in your stories. Um, John, it, it's it's been a pleasure talking to you and I wanna wrap it up with one last question, if I may. Um, for someone who's just getting into storytelling, are there any books that they can use for inspiration to design their stories? Uh, yes, uh, there's a couple of good suggestions, I think. Um, I think this is still in print. Um, it's not a, it's not an LMD book or an e-learning book. Um, it's called uh, 20 Master Plots. Um, it's been in print since I think 1993. I've had this edition since 1999, and I think you can still get it. Um, and it's 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 aimed at, at amateur writers. Um, in a, in, a, in a past life, I did try and write a novel. It didn't do very well. Um, but this is the book I bought when I set out on that journey. And um, this, in the same way as. Um, the hero's journey talks about, you know, the hero going from the known to the unknown, overcoming challenges and returning changed and often better and more powerful. And that's what we want the learner to do as well. Um, that, that, is a, that is a kind of archetype that can be mapped over lots of stories. Um, this book proposes that there are basically 20 plots. Within, within that model, there are about 20 plots. And the one I always gravitate towards, and they're all, they're all great. I mean, just some examples here. Uh, you know, revenge, um, you know, revenge is a great motivator, escape, um, rescue. You know, you can see already how they can be applied in either situation. But I've always been fond of um, uh, wretched excess, which is when, you know, people take, um, you know, have, have bad habits and live on the margins of society by, you know, being involved in bad, bad decisions, bad life choices. Mm -hmm. And... That's always something that's interested me. One of my favourite writers is, is Hunter S. Thompson, for instance, and he was very kind of into the counterculture of the 60s and 70s in America. And he saw people, lots of people, and documented lots of people making poor decisions in their lives. Um, and whenever I'm faced with a situation of building a, a course that kind of needs to talk about what's the consequences of making poor decisions, mm -hmm. I always think about that. What's the worst case scenario? What's the, what's the wretched excess of compliance? You know, who's that character in your department who, is, is, you know, he's is never going to meet the compliance standards and why? And using that as the kind of archetype and the kind of the, the character you don't want to be, I've always found very interesting. Um, but this is a great book. It's got, as I say, 20 breakdowns of, of, of major plots in there. Uh, and you may gravitate toward others, um, rivalry, you know, rescue, rivalry, metamorphosis. Mm -hmm. I mean... These are all these are all models that can be mapped onto the hero's journey. And when you look at your setting and you look at your plot and the learning need you need to address in your organization, you might find that it's a plot that does that. And then more up to date, of course, the book we mentioned is, is Yes, Green, that's a wonderful which, book, yeah. Which is which is a wonderful, wonderful book. And um I, I think it's probably going to be as well used as as, as this one. 
um, in another 20 years' time. I'm always going to go back to that one. I'm also very fond of um, micro-learning from Carl Kapp. Okay. Um, and again, I, I just dip into this. Um, he makes a, a point in the foreword about, you know, micro-learning being, you know, being more than just kind of course design. And this book is very micro-learning. You can just dip in and out of it. Yes. Um, and I think that offers people a bit of perspective as well. You know, if, if you're not always going to get a meaty topic that you can turn into a story, um, but you can tell a short story often with a series of questions and a results slide. And if you do nothing else after listening to this conversation, uh, the next time you're asked to put together a 10 set multiple choice uh, question set, mm -hmm. um, even if it's just going to be used at the end of a training session, um, pushed out on your LMS with kind of no kind of fanfare, maybe just try and tell a little bit of the story in those 10 questions and a results slide and you might be surprised at the results. Yes, yes. Well, John, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for sharing the wealth of information plus the tools and the books to support it. I really appreciate having you on on my episode. Hopefully we will, uh, you know, interact on gamification at a, some, at a later point. Um, but thanks for, for answering all my questions today. Thank you for having me. It's been a great pleasure to speak to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Redefine Instruction webcast series. We welcome feedback. Leave a comment or question on any of our social media pages. We look forward to hearing from you. Until then, stay tuned for the next episode.